I just want to, I just want to talk briefly, and then and let's not just talk about it, let's impart it tonight. I want to talk about it, living in an increased power of God. Now, now, what I st- I'm going to talk about on Friday and Saturday, that's the foundational stability, because some people get power, but then they just blow up, yeah. because they don't know how to have riverbanks in their lives, because a river is going to have power, it's got to have riverbanks. Friday night, Saturday, I'm talking about the riverbanks, so the power can keep flowing. If you don't have riverbanks, they fall over, and the river overflows and becomes a marsh, and it just becomes stinky. So, some very anointed people that are very stinky, because they don't know how to deal with distractions, they don't know how to focus on meeting the needs of others, and they don't know how to deal with the spirit of fear. So they're a bundle of insecurity going somewhere to happen, or they're an, off- an offense going somewhere to manifest. They're more happy, they're so happy when they get offended, because they love self-pity and offenders. And, and I just decided that's a horrible way to live. I just want to live happy every day. And I, and, and I have to live happy on purpose, because if, if you just go on auto, if you just go passive in this world, it won't be long before you're very depressed. And very confused and very overwhelmed by the cares of this world and the words being choked out by the cares of this world. It is so easy to get discouraged. It's just so easy. Don't be vigorous. Don't be aggressive. Don't monitor your own moods. Wait on others to do it. Lie at the pool of Bethesda and wait for someone to roll you in. You could at least move a millimeter a year until you can get into that pool. Amen. Sorry, no, don't go quiet now. I, I'm talking into, into a, a modern world that is the same as the world was 2,000 years ago. People are the same today. as they were to, The letters Paul writes and Peter writes, they're addressing the very issues I'm talking about. People complicating the church because of the insecurities. It is not a sin to be insecure. But it is a sin to cover up your insecurity and make something an issue that's not really the issue, but you're making something the issue to get someone's attention because you're insecure. And that ruins marriages, ruins church teams, and ruins whole congregations. And if you just come on Friday and Saturday, you will learn. You will learn how to build a strong life that lasts and endures through every ambush and build stronger and stronger 24-7. Amen. This group of people is enough to make this church strong. And so I want to talk about the power of God. Now, the power of God is, is, is an absolute given for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of words. It's a matter of power. It's a, it's a demonstration of power. The issue that we're in today is who's got more power than someone else. And it's not a big ego trip. This power is necessary for the liberation of people that are lost and will live in a lost eternity for all eternity unless they come to Christ. And so it's, a, it's an issue of uh, 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 the demonic realm that is running rampant through South Africa and running around the world that has already been defeated at the cross and triumphed over, yet the devil's a criminal. Anything he does against you, I don't even care if someone says, well, you opened the door to the devil and you welcomed it in. Let me tell you, that's old covenant. Before the, before the cross, you could open doors to the devil. But after the cross, Jesus closed every door to the devil, canceled the written record and the written code that stood opposed to you and that was against you, and disarmed the powers and authorities, and made a public spectacle of them, and triumphed over them. Him. You cannot open a door to the devil because Jesus closed every door to the devil. The only thing that opens the door to the devil is unbelief in what Jesus did on the cross. Unbelief. The devil will take you out in, when, you, when we walk in unbelief. Can you say amen? amen? 
So, so we, we, we really believe that the church needs to be ha- walk, walk in greater and greater power. We can't substitute the power for smoke machines and great entertainment and motivational preachers. We must have the miraculous power of God in signs, wonders, and healing. And, and uh, oh, just, we had such a great miracle recently. I was so tempted to tell you about our friend, uh, Akin, Alec, and their daughter. But I'm not going to tell you, okay. But anyway, because that was a great testimony tonight. Amen. That's fact. Your guitar hand. Woohoo! But we need power not only in signs, wonders, and miracles. We need the power to produce wealth, to confirm His covenant. Deuteronomy 8.18. When you come into the land, remember, it's either give you the power to produce wealth, to confirm the covenant I swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the law covenant, the grace covenant under Abraham. When the power of God comes on you, it doesn't mean 10 million rand drops on you because it would be illegal currency. But the power of a business project, the power of an idea, the power of an initiative comes upon you. And God makes all the fish swim into your nets. God makes all the clients come to your business. If you don't work for money, money will work for you. And so that's power. There's power against the spirit of poverty that comes in the kingdom. There's a power to cast out demons. There's a power to raise your children, which is like having to raise the dead. So, no, there's power. <laughs> there's power to be happy. There's power to be joyful. There's power. And we need that. Amen. So we need power. And power, the anointing of power, comes in the spirit covenant when there's a grace atmosphere. That's why under the old covenant, the, the anointing would come and go, come and go. Because every time you sinned, it went. But under the new covenant... It's not a law covenant. In fact, don't misunderstand me. I'm going to qualify quickly. There's a law covenant, and then there's the new covenant, and the new covenant is not a grace covenant. The new covenant is a spirit covenant. And it's a spirit covenant because of grace. Because if you're under law, the anointing comes and goes. But under the the spirit covenant, because of grace... Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come and he will never leave you. He will be with you forever. How do you know when you've messed up, you need the Holy Spirit more? (laughs) You need the comforter. You need the counselor to lead you into truth and help you get out of this. You need the Holy Spirit for marriage. Holy Spirit, help me now. I don't understand why Ben is doing this. (laughs) And so the grace of God moves us into a realm of the glory. An ever-increasing glory. That every day you can walk in a realm of the Spirit. The Spirit covenant did not come with the announcement, this is a grace covenant. No, it was announced by a fire over people's heads, a wind of glory and fire. We are competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter that kills, but of the Spirit. We are ministers of the Spirit that gives life. We walk in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We live out of our Spirit. We don't live from our heads. We live from our Spirit. We, We are a Spirit covenant. And it's because of grace. And if people don't understand grace, they keep coming in and out of a conscious awareness of His presence. And the cross was to split things 
from the top to the bottom in the, in the, in the tabernacle of the, the Holy of Holies. The cross was so God was not living in a little box called the Ark of the Covenant anymore, but he got out. I'm going to need to go to Jerusalem anymore. It's wonderful being there. We'll probably go again, but I fought more demons in Jerusalem than I fought in Hong Kong or South Africa, Australia, all put together. So please don't think Jerusalem is more holy because it's only the Jerusalem that above is holy, but the Jerusalem below is not holy. And I thank God it is the capital. And thank you, Donald Trump, for making it, acknowledging it's the capital. And I praise God. And I pray for the Jews and I pray for Israel. But the soil of Israel is no more holy than the soil of Johannesburg because God came out the box, came out of the temple, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you carry and walk in the glory. We walk in the glory. And so the consciousness of His presence is here tonight. And it can be with us most all day and all night because of grace. And the, and the revelation that Jesus, the sacrifice is greater than the judgment. Amen? When Elijah offered up a sacrifice, he had bulls and goats and rocks. Bulls and goats here, a bull. And, and rocks and kinds of thing there and he cried out and the judgment fell and the fire fell and it exploded the bull disappeared was evaporated the rocks were evaporated the water was evaporated and it was a big hole in the ground the judgment was greater than the sacrifice then Jesus comes and he's taken the whole sin of the world from beginning to end of time and, and he's punished 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 and then he's punished some more until there's no more punishment for our sins left. All of heaven's justice, the integrity of the high court of heaven says it is finished. There is nothing more to punish you as a believer in Christ. Nothing more to punish. If you, nothing more to punish you as a believer in Christ. And Jesus is still alive and strong. It is finished. He's still alive because he's the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He's absorbed all the punishment we deserve. And when it's finished, he's still strong. And it didn't kill him. And then he decides, I'm going to die now. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. What does that say? And what happened? He got rose from the dead. Why? Because it's the, the resurrection is the proof that the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. So there is no chance of your father ever punishing you again. Ever. And discipline is different to punishment. Punishment is to make you pay for a crime. It's, just, it's vindictive. It's to punish you. Discipline is to build your character so that you can be more and more successful. So you learn not to be childish or narcissistic or focus on your own needs. You learn to deal with fear and how to deal with distractions. <laughs> That's discipline. And God disciplines those that he loves. Amen. We know he doesn't discipline us with sickness. He disciplines us by his word. His word washes us. His word deals with stuff. And if, you, if we don't listen to his word, then he has no other ways to discipline us. And then we become like orphans, even though we're saved. Because if we can't take the discipline of the Father who loves us, and He rebukes me, and He talks to me, and I say, Father, talk to me all the time. And when He rebukes me, I feel so good. Because they are redemptive rebukes. He has saved me from being an idiot. Well, He hasn't saved me completely. I'm still in the process. I have to be honest because Slender's here tonight. I mean, you still act like an idiot. Don't put your hands up, bro. Amen. The sacrifice greater. So I know the old covenant, when 
when uh, you had sinned, you'd go to the priest and you would bring your sacrificial lamb. It's amazing. Shadow, type. And the priest would not examine you. He wouldn't even look at you. He would look at the lamb to see if it had any spots or blemishes or wrinkles. And if it was without spot or wrinkle, it would be sacrificed and you would be declared right with God. So, so the priest never examined you. He examined your sacrifice. Now the sacrifice is greater than the judgment. The lamb of God. To, for you to walk right with God all the time, the father doesn't examine you. He examines the lamb. Whose sacrifice was greater than the judgment. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if, it, if, it was, if, if you owed God a, a hundred million dollars for your sins, he paid multiple trillions. Just so it could be absolutely secure, the deal. So, Jesus, who is perfect, was constantly being accused. Don't be surprised if you're accused. Because the word accused occurs 11 times in the four Gospels. Nine times it was Jesus being accused by the Pharisees. Now, if the perfect man is accused by people, <laughs> the devil's going to really try to accuse you and me. And sometimes he's actually right in what he's accusing us. Well, he's not 100% right, but he puts twists and spins on things. And so when you are being accused or when you feel you failed or when you feel condemnation and you feel unworthy, you've got to know this. The father's looking at the lamb. And when he sees the lamb, you are absolutely right with the father. So when the devil comes with audible or imposed thoughts into your mind that intrude into your mind that are accusing, that are leading to depression and fear and you're losing that sense of power, love and a strong mind, and you're losing your focus. When that starts happening, you're getting accused. You just need to tell the devil, devil, have a look at the lamb. <laughs> and if you can find fault with him, I dare you to tell the father about that. <laughs> because, because he's my high priest. He's my high priest. He's my last Adam. He's my second man. And he's my mediator of a superior covenant based on better promises. You, you think, can you see the lamb open any door to you, devil? Because if he's opened any door to you, then he's opened the door for me. But I, can you find a door open in him? Well, I can see some doors open in you. It's not about me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author of our faith. Examine the lamb, devil, because my father examined the lamb. And I'm right with the father. And there's no doors open. The lamb has left no door. The lamb did slam. The door of the damned. <laughs> so we can sing the songs of the Lamb. And now I'm right with God. And when that becomes deeper and deeper established in our psyche, yes, we do make mistakes and we don't celebrate sin by any means whatsoever. But I can tell you this, we're all in process. And if you've got space to grow and develop with our mistakes, I guarantee you're going to grow and develop. But if you've got ultimatums that always like warning and you just, you just always feel under pressure that you've got to change, then your focus leaves Jesus and you're constantly examining yourself. Only twice in the whole New Testament does it say examine yourself. And there's a context. It's not for every Christian to be examining themselves. There's a context for that. But it does say fixing your eyes on, on Jesus. And when you're fixed on Jesus, you can't really fix too much on yourself. 
Because if you fix there, you can't be fixed here. Amen. So anyway, I want to go there. So I'm saying that, that, that if you can understand the riverbanks that we'll be talking about on Friday and Saturday, because we don't want nutty Christians getting so much power in the anointing and running around like a three-year-old with a double-barreled shotgun, and they get so narcissistic, and they begin to sell their prophecies and merchandise the power of God. We just do not want that, because we don't want another generation doing that. Amen. Hey, come on, baby boomers, let's give, the, let's give the generations that are coming behind us opportunity to go beyond us. Amen. Amen. That's success. That what we do, the best we can do, the generations coming behind us go further. That's what I want my grandkids. Okay, amen. All right, you're not very happy about that. (laughs) But I know the millennials are. Because the world is stupid to write them off. Because they're going to be, they are, a generation coming through. And we need to be going, yeah, but I had, some, I had something to do with that. I, I set an example as, a, as an old bullet, as a guy with a gray beard. We, we, like, we just, like, just, we just like, they were trying so hard to keep up with us, and we could still run faster in our 60s. I'm 64 this year, 64. And I'm telling you that I, I'm just, I just I want the millennials to go way beyond me, but they've got to run really fast to catch up to me first. There's no fading out yet. This is ever-increasing glory. This is not getting older. This is our youth being renewed. Come on. on, This is age reversal. People get, I'm 60 now. I've got to slow down. Shut up, man. Don't even sock that in front of me, man. Shut up. Don't even use the word retire to me. I'll start swearing. Because that's so blasphemous. Retire. You may retire. It doesn't mean you don't have to work anymore because you've got enough money to live. Retire, retire means that you just retire. You stopped. I mean, if you don't have to work at 40, fantastic. Now you can work even more in the kingdom. And if you're 75 and you retire, now you can really do stuff at 75, 80, 90. Don't let yourself think you're getting older. I mean, I'd rather live in delusion because reality is cruel. Now, when I look at the scripture... People would be so powerful in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. When I look at my heroes that have gone to heaven now, they were still preaching powerfully into the late 80s. And most of them just, just suddenly went home with the Lord. They didn't die of sickness. They just were sitting there and just smiling. Kenneth Hagin was sitting at the table with his wife smiling. And he went, smiled like us. And he went, gone. Hey, hey, bye-bye. Isn't that wonderful? I'm looking forward to dying. I really am. To die is gain. Isn't it so wonderful? Amen. I've told all the church, if I die, don't try to raise me dead. If I go, I'm not coming back. <laughs> so, so the power of God moves in realms of grace where there's no separation from God's love. So let me quickly tell you a story and then pray for you, if whoever wants to be. Um, if you've heard the story, please just act like it's so new and novel and just so excited to hear it again. As some of you know, Glenda and I were Hindus, and we tried so hard. I mean, I was trying so hard to be holy and and know God, and just it was terrible. I'm not going to tell you the details, but if if you think Christian legalism is bad, I could tell you some real stories of what it means to be celibate in marriage and eat vegetables and sleep three, four hours a day, and just, ah, yeah, anyway. And then Jesus came into a Hindu ashram and manifested to me and spoke in an audible voice and said, come follow me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was 20, 
23, 24 years of age. 23 years of age. I was 23 years of age. And Jesus saved me in a Hindu temple. And Glenda and I planted a church when we were 25. I hadn't even read the whole Bible yet. I didn't read the whole Bible. I'm glad I hadn't read it yet. I'm glad I didn't even know what I was doing because I would never have started. If I knew what pastors go through, I would never. So we planted a church. I was 25. Uh, Glenda was uh, 16. No, she was... <laughs> and uh, so like, I was like, I was like a, a millennial then. <laughs> started church at 25. Don't wait. Don't wait. Till you all started church, man. And uh, so, so um, we, we were doing okay. I mean, we, we, were, we were going all right. But, but I, I had such messed up. Um, I, I had, I, people had told me some things about, about God that just weren't true. And, and, and it, was, it was hindering me. Because the way you think is, is going to hinder you. Because it, it's what you think that's more important than your behavior. Because what you think will decide what you believe. Your belief doesn't make you think the right way. Right thinking produces what you believe. And what you believe produces your convictions. And your convictions produce your attitudes. And your attitudes pr produce your perceptions. And your perceptions produce your behavior. So when you see behavior, don't put the law on someone and say, don't do that. Go back to their thinking. What are they thinking? What is their belief system? Because what you, because faith will produce obedience. The law will never produce obedience. It will just produce more sin. Come on, amen. So it's, it's about what we're thinking. And I had wrong thinking. And so our church grew from, we started with 10 people. And it grew to about, you know, numbers are not that important in my mind. But anyway, it grew. And the only thing about numbers is that obviously as many people saved. That, that's what I think about numbers. It's not an ego trip how many bums you have a seat on Sunday morning. I mean, God's not worried about that. It's how many people are disciples, passionate for Jesus, winning the lost, moving in the power of the kingdom. And so we had maybe, maybe 150 people uh, after a year and a half or two years. But I wasn't happy. I just thought there was something wrong. There was something more had to take place. And I was in my office on my own one day, and, uh, and I'd never experienced anything quite like it before. Suddenly, the presence of God came into the room and uh, literally pinned me against the wall, and uh, I could... Like I could sort of breathe, but I, I, I thought, am I going to die now? Or what, what, what? I know this is you, God, but I haven't experienced this before. I'd never been to, you know, I, I thank God for this generation. You're seeing things now that were rare in those days. And they, it was like I was pinned to the wall. And the next minute I hear the audible voice of God. And, he, and not here, but inside you, coming up to you. And it came up into my, into my consciousness. And he asked me three questions. And uh, I was still young in the Lord, so I didn't realize when God asks you questions, it's dangerous. Because he hasn't temporarily suspended his omniscience, because he, he knows everything already. When he's asking questions, uh, you're going to be an idiot if you try to answer them. Because he's going to pull you out and show you where your thinking is wrong. So if you, if you look in, in the Gospel of Mark, on the boat, when they're going in the boat, Jesus asked them eight questions about the multiplying of the bread, that they had, it was so dwarf and dumb, they didn't actually know what was going on. So he asked them eight questions, and they were trying to answer the questions, and all the answers were so stupid. They get very quiet. So when God asks you questions, just answer from your heart. <laughs> Don't try and 
tell him what you think he wants you to say. Just answer him. Be honest. And so I answered him, and all my answers were stupid. And then he proceeded to tell me the real answers to those questions. Then he told me audibly, go and look in the Bible. Look in it. He said, go and look at Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. I said, okay. And, and, then I, and it was about, it was this perfect will for Israel to go into the promised land and take the giants out. Because God had given them the land. All the promises were theirs already in Christ. And they had the gospel already in advance given to them. And by faith, they could go in and take the land. But because of an evil heart of unbelief, they did not. They, they let the spirit of fear stop power, love, and a sound mind. They got distracted. And they were thinking about their needs. And so they pulled back, and a whole generation, an entire generation missed the purpose of God. They just ate food, passed it through their body, paid off their mortgage, and died for nothing. No purpose. Ah! There's not enough drugs or alcohol or sex to distract me enough to live without meaning and purpose. If you don't have an infinite, if you don't have an infinite reference point, all your finite points are meaningless and absurd. You have to have an infinite reference point to have morality or ideas of meaning and purpose. We're not existentialists pretending we have meaning. That is stupid. We are not the product of the impersonal time plus impersonal chance plus impersonal matter organizing itself in an impersonal way into, in, into personal complexities, thus contradicting the second law of thermodynamics. We are not an accident. We are created. We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works He's prepared in advance for us to do. And we want to make a mark on Johannesburg, make a mark on this earth, bless nations. If we want the anointing of God, number one, we must live in grace. But if we really want the increase, we've got to understand this anointing is not just there to heal your heart, and it's not there to open your prison doors, and all the good stuff the anointing does will do that for you. But Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And because you've received real power, you will be, whether you like it or not, you will be witnesses in Johannesburg, I mean Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to Hong Kong, and to the ends of the earth. And if any church is looking for anointing just to meet my needs, me, me, I want my needs met, they'll get an anointing that is so small that will only meet your needs. But it won't meet them at all. It won't. And your people just get so sad, oh, the anointing didn't help me. But if you think about nations and the lost on their way to eternal hell, I am not a universalist, and neither is God, and neither is the Bible. If we want an anointing to change the world around us, we need to stop facing the direction of me, 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 and face the direction, is my God's relating to me, not on the basis of my context, but on the basis of the greatness He's taking me to. God is never going to relate to you in the context you're living in. Whatever the circumstances around you, He's not relating to you on that. He's relating to you on the, according to the greatness He's taking you into. And Lord, can't you see? Can't you see who I am? Yes, of course I can see I'm God. But I'm relating you to you, to where I'm taking you to the greatness. And that greatness needs much more anointing than you got now. But if you've got Mimi Artis, I can't give you more anointing because you've got to understand I'm relating to you according to the greatness I'm taking you to because before you were born and before. 
time began, my version of you was beautiful. I have a magnificent dream about you before you were ever in your mother's womb. And now that you're in the world and you're in Christ, I'm relating to you not on the basis of where you work and the problems you're facing. I'm relating to you on the basis of the greatness I'm taking you to. Come on. And Gideon's in the wine vat. Yeah, he's just trying to make a little bit of bread. And all of Israel's and smashed up. You think, South Africa's bad. This is a beautiful country. You know what? This is, there's only two nations on the earth that, that God is, is, is showing signs of the beginnings of revival. And those two nations are the Philippines, which we work into very much, and into South Africa. Yeah, you know what? There's a guy. Anyway, I don't want this, this, this country, mighty people, we've got we to have God. Some nation, this country, you, you got to live outside this country. Go to Australia, mate. As South Africans, we had the fastest growing church in Adelaide, Australia. One and a half thousand people moved from 500 to one and a half thousand people in four years. And most of those were new converts getting saved. Signs and wonders and miracles, the power of the gospel. And people getting saved. I'm not talking about one and a half thousand people. But I'm, I'm talking about radical, passionate Aussies. Saturday morning, the only morning to sleep in. 400 Aussies praying in tongues for over an hour. Breaking stuff over the city. But do you think that's easy? In Australia, you do the same thing in South Africa, you will see much more results as also in the Philippines. Try Hong Kong, mate. You better know what you're doing. South Africa is so rich and ripe and ready for people to get saved. There's there's some very interesting things in this country. God only knows, I, I've forgotten, I don't even know what you go through, because we haven't lived here for nearly 29 years. But man, it's a reaping opportunity. So Gideon's in his little wine vat, and he's... And he wants God to come and relate to him on the basis of a self-pity and mimi. My needs. And God walks up to this coward who's got no military training. And his opening words to Gideon is, Hi, mighty warrior, valiant warrior. Hi, great man of valor and bravery, great warrior. What's God doing? I'm not relating to you, Gideon, in this little confined wine vat. I'm relating to you according to the greatness I've caught. Now, you're going to stay in this wine vat and be me-centered, and I'll give you a little bit of bread if you want. A little anointing to make you happy a bit. Or you can respond to me, and you'll change You'll deliver Israel, who's been raped by the Midianites. The economy has collapsed, and the Midianites are walking at will into the nation that's meant to be worshiping God, but they turn to idols. And so God comes to a pathetic little man. He's a coward with no military training. He wants God to relate to him on his, me, me, what about me, my circumstances? Hi, mighty warrior. God calls things a be not as though they were. That's what he can see in Gideon. And Gideon operates from a me circumstance. He says, but I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe's the smallest, like God doesn't know. Can't you see my circumstances? Who are you? Are you God? What kind of God are you? I am the God that relates to you, not according to your circumstances, but according to the greatness I am taking you to. And when Gideon dealt with that mental issue, his thinking, it changed his, what he believed, and it moved into behavior. And he became one of the greatest generals and defeated over 100,000 enemy with 300 men. So even the 
tactics you used were supernatural. And God pinned me against the wall and asked me three questions. And I got them all wrong. And then he said to me, he told me uh, what to do, told me what the problem is. And he said, Kenneth Hagin's coming up to Johannesburg. This is 1981. Kenneth Hagin's coming up to Johannesburg. And I said, oh, Kenneth Hagin, I know him. He's got terrible theology. He's very shallow in his theology. And he's an American. And he wears suits. (laughs) And Rolex watches. And I've got red T-shirt and jeans and long blonde hair that's bleached by the sun and a big red beard because I'm a surfer. And you tell him you go see Kenneth Hagin. He says, yes, go see Kenneth Hagin. And he says he'll be preaching for three days. I didn't even know Kenneth Hagin was coming to South Africa. That was a clear, that was the word of God. He said, no, you go there and it'll be three days. He says, you don't miss one meeting. See, people, they just, you've got to be so hungry. You're the hungry ones. You're here tonight. He said, you don't miss one meeting because every meeting will be a sequence for you to release you into what I want. So I, I went there and I sat at the back and I was very like, the people clapping for a man. And I was looking for anything to criticize. I'm really, really bad. I mean, my attitude was really bad. But the second day, I was like halfway in, in the front. It was about 3,000 people. And I was halfway in the front. And I thought, hey, it's not so bad. You know, some scriptures he's saying, I've read those before, but I've never seen it with that anointing on it or that light. I've never seen faith like that. Because this mission and assignment was to release faith in the earth. And by the third day, I was so hungry, I was so desperate, I just wanted to get into Kenneth Hagin's pocket and go home with him to America, and I wanted to get in his suit and wear his suit and his Rolex, and I just wanted to cut my hair like him and just do anything to get what he had. I mean, just said, Lord, I'll just give anything, I just got, I'm going to have that, I, I have to have that anointing, otherwise, what's the point of ministry? I don't want to just get up and preach, I want the power of God. And so I said, I said, okay, I'm going to the front row. Now, the, the, first, the front row was reserved for full-time pastors. Now, I, am, I was a full-time pastor. I was actually being salaried by my church, but I had a red T-shirt on, red beard, long bleached by the sun, hair down past my shoulders, and jeans on and, and slops on. And, and I, I'm trying to get in the front row, but the ushers won't let me in the front row. This is for pastors only. I said, I am a pastor. I'm 26 I am a pastor. He said, no, you're not. I think he thought I was a tramp off the street. He said, you go to the back. I said, I am a pastor. He said, you're not. Go to the back. So I said, "If I'm not lying now. I said, if you don't move out of my way, I'm going to punch you, but I am going to be in the front row. I don't care what you think, but I'm, I, I've got to be there, spare seat there. I'm a pastor, and I'm going to, and if you don't get out of my way, I, I'm a surfer. I'm going to smash you. Now, you're saying and exaggerating? No. Because when you're hungry, you will do anything except sin. Now, hitting someone is sin, okay, but... <laughs> I didn't want to hit him. I just wanted him to get out my way because I, I, I'd heard God speak to me about three questions, pin me against the wall. I'm obeying God, and I've got to get what that's on this man. So he says, okay, sir. And he says, quieten down, quieten down, calm down. And so I sit down there, and I'm sitting there, and the guys in the front are wonderful men. I know some of them today, but they were. They were in three-piece suits with American-style haircuts. It was very nice. But anyway, so I'm sitting there, and Kenneth Hagin's walking up and down, and he's talking about the flow of the anointing, and, I, and he's praying for the sick, and he's talking about how you see from your spirit, and he was coaching people on how the anointing flows. And I'm sitting there, and as he's talking, 
I suddenly hear the audible voice of God say, son, I want you to stand up. <laughs> God's talking. Stand up. Lift your hands up. And what is on him, I'll put it on you. I said, you mean stand up now? I said, I'm in the front row. (laughs) They really think I'm a bit strange, but so I thought, nah, I don't care. And I'm a sharp person, actually. So I just stood up, and as I lifted my hands, I felt like the fire of God. I mean, I was shocked. The power of God just came on me. I I didn't even know this existed. No one even told me you can have this. It's common knowledge today in a few places still should be common across the whole earth. The power of God came on me. I, I felt like I'd grabbed hold of high voltage. You know, electricity can kill you if you get too much of it. But the anointing won't kill you. It'll kill fear of man. It will kill diseases. It will kill insecurity. It will kill the need for human approval. And the fire of God came on me. And I thought, oh God, this is real. This is, this is the real thing. And I got on a plane, flew back to Pine Town, and that Sunday morning, which was a day later when I got back, I preached everything Kenneth Hagin had preached in three days. I preached it in one hour. My whole church thought I'd gone mad. I mean, they just thought I'd gone mad. And, and, then, and then I said, all right, everyone that feels sick in body, come stand in the front. You remember, this is 1981. Come stand in the front. Uh, and they come and stand in the front, about 40, I don't know, 30 people, I'm not sure. And I just go to the side and just do everything. Now, for a while, you know, it looks like you're mimicking the person, but you're not mimicking, you're imitating their faith. And, and, and you, you, may, you, you may morph through the mimicking part, which looks like mimicking, and then you find your own style according to your own personality. Amen. But at first, you might mimic, mimic a bit, but don't worry, you'll morph through that mimicking. But if it's, if, if, if it's, if it's really not mimicking, it's actually imitating the faith, because you've caught it by transference then don't worry about it if you look like that person for a while because you'll soon find your own expressions, okay? So at first, I just said, and so I said, okay, just hold your hands out like this. And I said, okay, okay, according to the principle of contact and transmissions, <laughs> according to the principle of contact and transmissions, well, according to the laying of hands, Jesus, the head of the church, said, if you lay hands, there'll be a transference of the anointing. So according to the principle of contact and transmission, I now lay hands upon you in obedience to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, almost said with American accent. And from, and <laughs> And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I laid hands. Now, we, it was, I understand this was a dead church. It was so dead that every Sunday morning, I didn't want to go to myself. Because <laughs> I only went because I was the pastor, but I wanted to go surfing Sunday morning. So you got all these dead heads. And, and the reason why they were dead is not their fault. It's the pastor. Because the state of the church, often the... the anyway, don't go down there. All right. <laughs> because if, if I don't like the way the church is in Hong Kong, I can shift the atmosphere because I'm the senior leader. So people can't, you know, people can't come and say, oh, you've got a hard church. Look at how hard it is in Hong Kong. No, no, no. It's, 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 I can shift the culture. That's what I'm called to do. I'm a culture shifter. I'm an atmosphere shifter. Changer. That's what you do as leader. If you can't do that, don't be a leader. <laughs> if you can't shift the culture in the home group, find someone who can. Or go somewhere where you can catch something and then go shift the culture. Shift the atmosphere. Build the culture to this house, not to yourself. Amen. So the first person I laid hands on flew through the air. And I thought, man, my hands are loaded. Flip up. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, 
I need to get these hands lozenges. This is dangerous. This is point them at people. I'm serious. I was pointing. People started pointing. I was standing in front. I was going, yo. I'm not kidding. I was like, Glenda was there. I mean, I was just like, I mean, listen, I was 26. With so much power. I didn't know about riverbanks. I was just like, God was giving me trust for a little while. I didn't know it was going to be like 38 years of training for when now the kind of power we're moving in, it's got some riverbanks to it. But he just let me have a quick glance, and, uh, and it stayed with me for the rest of my life, but it's gone up levels since then. So, and so all 30, I just touched. I think like 85% of them flew backwards through the air. Like, who was just going, sure, they just... Church under the anointing is so much easier. It's like, get healed. In the name of Drew, in the name, in, in the name of G. And before I could say this, like, boom, gone. Yay, his hands are loaded. And I'm like standing up in the pulpit. I'm going, yay. Like, it's only 150 people, but it's like after a year and a half of the church. And I'm going, yay, yay, my hands are loaded. And now, and, now, and now one guy gets up and says, I can hear, I can hear. I said, what? See, I was deaf in this year, I can hear. I said, the deaf have been healed in this dead church. The deaf have been healed. It happened in three days. Because impartation is not a progressive transition. Uh, it is a, a quantum leap to a sudden dramatic new level. Now, you have to be faithful on one level sometimes for months or even years. And then you go through a quantum leap impartation. And you get trusted with the stewardship of a higher level. And I'm just like, I can hear. And then this one's saying, oh, this is going. And then I'm healed, yeah, I'm healed. Like, and I'm shocked. And I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. I'm 26. I don't know what to do. So then he, I hear this inward audible voice again. He says, pray a blessing over the congregation. So I think, wow, I wonder, what, I wonder what that means. Because I'm not a Catholic. I just I wonder, pray a blessing. Pray a blessing. God, I'm a surfer, dude. I pray a blessing. You know, so, so I said, everyone stand. Everyone stand, please. Everyone, like, boy, were they ambushed. They were, like, stood, you know, like, like sitting ducks. Like, okay. They were all stood. So I said, bow your heads, bow your heads. I bowed my head. I said, Father, in the name of G. I again, didn't get Ziz in. And I heard, I looked up from the front row. People had been lifted up off the ground and thrown through the air. Three rows at a time. Then the next rows, then the next rows, then the next rows. And a lady by the name of Charmaine Jackson, who we'll be seeing next week in Pantone, was standing at the back with her baby, and she said, I was seeing like this wind. And she said, what the heck's <laughs> And she said, in the next minute, I woke up, I was on the floor, my baby was safely in my arms. I can't remember even falling. And, and I just said, and I, I turned around, and the drummer... Because the power broken forward. It didn't go backwards. So Finney was, Finney was standing behind me. And Finney and the fan belt were standing behind me. <laughs> and a guy called Paul Hansen was on the drums. And the power didn't go backwards. It went frontwards. So Paul Hansen on the drums, he just thought, he just thought, I've got to do something. Something's happening. God's in this place. And so the, Finney and them started, the power of God started blowing backwards. And they started like shaking in the, and it doesn't take much for Finney. But anyway, they started like... <laughs> Shaking, and then, and so the drummer Paul Hansen said, I jumped up and I tried to run to catch the, the, the guitar players. And then he said, I was halfway to them, and he said, I hit a solid substance and I went unconscious. Yeah. And I woke up about half an hour later with Finney and all of them next to him, all stuck spit coming. And then I said, Every one of you that do not know Jesus as Lord in an intimate reality of salvation, you know God's real.
I don't have to intellectually convince you. I don't have to say, I don't have to give you scientific proof I'm in the room. You can see and feel I'm in this room. I don't have to prove to you scientifically Jesus in this room. You've seen his mighty hand. You need to get saved now. I promise you, I'm not lying. They didn't come up like this. They just cried, Jesus. They ran to the front. They were crying. They were under conviction. I mean, they were convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Man, they were like, oh, God. Holy Spirit was in the house. God was in the house. The unsaved come running up, crying. We led them to Christ. The next week, all of them came back. I didn't even recognize half of them. It's like their faces were softer. Those people today, as far as I know, and it's, it's current as within the uh, last few months. I'm talking about 1981. It's current as the last few months. They're all serving Jesus still today because they really got saved. It wasn't counterfeit conversion. It wasn't try Jesus, the little guru, make you feel happy in life. No, you, you're in rebellion against the majesty in heaven. And Jesus hasn't come to down the cross to make your life comfortable. He's come to deliver you from the wickedness of your rebellion against the majesty of heaven. That's what salvation is. And they repented of a self-centered life and got saved, cut it to the heart with conviction. That's what I'm going to be talking about next Friday and Saturday in Pantan. How evangelism in the last hundred years has shifted to something that is diabolically different to Scripture. And while we've got so many counterfeit converts in the church, and while so many people say they're Christians, just back off when the pressure's on and just abandon Jesus, abandon church, because they never got saved. That's the problem. So we talk, we're, going to talk, we're going to take three sessions talking about the theology of what it means to be lost, what the condition is. And what did Jesus come for? And he's not a little new agey God to make all your needs and you feel happy. He's come to save us from eternal judgments. So that when we come into Christ, yes, we live in the blessing and the power of God and the glory of God and he meets our needs. But people need to be saved. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 How many of you want to receive power like that? Yeah. Amen. Well, come on. Let's, let's stand together. Because I tell you, 24-7. You ready for this, man? Yes. This is not foreign territory to you. It's not alien to you. You know about the anointing. But uh, it's, it's just coming at a, another a level tonight. What happens in the room depends on who's in the room. Amen. Jesus is in the room. And hungry people are in the room. You don't need to hit an usher. You don't have to punch an usher yet tonight. <laughs> Just punch the devil if he gets in your way. So you can lift your hands or do whatever you want for a moment, but uh, thank you. You can just play those keyboards if you want. It's just, Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's near. It's tangible, touchable. The kingdom is at hand. And your power is so available, your presence is already here tonight in a tangible way. We thank you that the anointing is tangible and transferable. Thank you the anointing is like electricity. It can be conducted by the touch or the words of faith spoken. It can be pulled and attracted. The anointing comes upon us. The glory rises upon us. The dawning of the light comes upon us. And in your light we see more light. In your light, revelation becomes a daily flow, a daily bread. We come right through the valleys of the shadow of death. We walk through them, and even though death is in that valley, and the shadow of it is there, your rod and your staff, they comfort us, and we have boldness. 
And we come through that valley on the other side. There's a table of feasting available for us to eat in the presence of our enemies who are under the table with their big toes cut off and their big thumbs cut off because they're being disarmed by your power and your dominion. And we feast on your goodness and your great glorious grace and the anointing and the power, the fullness of the inheritance of Christ. For we declare tonight that we do not receive the inheritance of Jesus before the cross, but we receive that inheritance he received when he sat down at your right hand. The heir of all things, we are co-equal heirs with Christ. Everything he's inherited at your right hand, we have inherited in Christ. It's available for us that are hungry, for we have been co-crucified with Christ. We have been co-buried with him. We have already been co-raised with him. We have already been co-ascended with him. We have already been co-seated with him in the heavenly realms, and we are co-equal heirs with Christ and heirs of God and we are co-laborers together with Christ we are the anointed and we have realms of power and anointing far greater than anything that we're facing and you're not relating to us according to our circumstances but according to the greatness that you are taking us to